The Red 78. Once we were back, we were back for a period That was when the televisions were in black and white, Quinn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, big buttons and no remote. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Uh, Kathleen McNamee is with us. We're talking about the Republic of Ireland and the um, latest injury crisis that has befallen us. So it's, what are we, 10, 12, 14 days out from the Ireland game against an as yet unknown opponent, either Scotland or Austria? Yeah, it's not looking good. We lost Jessu over the weekend. She was stretchered off during the County Cup game, West Ham against London City Lionesses. Hopefully, there's been no word yet how bad the injury actually is. They did say it was a knee injury, which generally when you hear that in women's football, that's not a good sign. That means you're out for quite a few months. Um, but yeah, just another player to lose. I mean, we've already lost Rusha Liljohn, Megan Connolly, Leanne Kiernan, Ellen Malloy. Just all these names that you were quite familiar with from the starting team, and it's not exactly the sort of preparation that Vera Powell want going into camp. I think they're heading in today, and they have a few like warm-up games ahead of the match, and then they'll watch the playoff together on Thursday, and then our match will start at the proper prep once we know who we're facing. We still haven't got a, a kickoff time yet for that game because if it's going to be in Scotland, it'll be a different kickoff time from. Um if it's going to be in Austria and it's the same night that Celtic are playing in the Champions League so I mean Hampden Park will be pretty empty will it? Or will they will they manage to get a good crowd on the night of a Champions League game it's kicking off at the same time? No I think it's going to be pretty empty I, like, I didn't really expect that massive a crowd at this game anyways just considering how late it's all going to be in terms of finding out who you're playing where you're playing whether it's in Austria or whether it's in Scotland it's not going to be exactly the sort of atmosphere you'd want for this sort of World Cup playoff and it makes the whole process seem even sillier that you know you would have it so close together because it's such a good opportunity to have a crowd I mean you could imagine if it was Ireland Scotland we knew it was coming even a month or two in advance there'd be loads of people who'd like happily bop over to Hampton Park and I mean we saw the atmosphere that there was when Nathan was there a couple of weeks ago you know it it's a great place to go. It would have been a great event and a great night, but it's just a bit of a shame that it's all been so rushed. If that's where we end up going. We could also end up in Austria, who knows? <laughs> I feel like the closer it gets, and I was reading um, the, the match day notes from the Ireland-Armenia game there before the game. Jonathan Hill, the FAI CEO, was kind of pointing out how important it was from an inspiration point of view for the 21s and the women's team. He was wishing them the best of luck, basically, to get to major tournaments and how big an impact, now obviously the 21s sadly couldn't, couldn't achieve it, but if the, this women's team can get to a major tournament, the impact it's going to have for, for young girls and young boys in the country, but to see them at a major tournament, um, it would be so disappointing to get this close and not get over the line, but um, yeah, it's it, there's a lot more nerves the closer this game gets, I think, Kathleen. Absolutely, and like, you know, I obviously listen to the show every morning and we spent most of last week talking about Stephen Kenny and what we wanted this team to achieve and how much faith we've put into the men's side and how great it would be to actually make a tournament with them because everyone's rooting for them and Adrian did a really great piece on Friday talking about you know his kids are at and the fact that it doesn't really matter what team it is if someone goes to a major tournament they're at the stage where they're ready to jump on that bandwagon and they're ready to just have a bit of fun and I think like we've 
seen that time and time again in Ireland when it comes to sports teams who do well. You know, it doesn't matter if you've never watched hockey or rugby or football or whatever it is. We're the sort of nation that we see a team doing well and we're like, yeah, let's go. Let's have some fun and enjoy it. So I think it will be really important. And I think it's really important for the development of this squad in particular. You know, they've been through so much over the last few years from, you know, the days of Liberty Hall to not qualifying for the Euros to now, like, being on buses, being on billboards, everyone knows their names. It's not like people know names like Jesse or Megan Connolly or Risha Littlejohn. They don't just know the Katie McCabe's and the Denise O'Sullivan's. So I don't want to say there's uh, everything is riding on this, but I just think it's the perfect moment yeah. for the wave to crest and for them to go to that major tournament and us to all go along with it and have like a great time in general. Yeah, yeah. It's a, a big, 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 big generational moment opportunity. Now, here's the thing. Uh, the Euros, almost certainly they will qualify for because they're definitely in the top number of teams who will qualify in Europe for the Euros. So it's coming, but it would just be good if they could accelerate that process. And some of those players are at the peak of their powers at the moment. And, um, you know, uh, anyway. I don't think I can take seeing Katie McCabe and Denise O'Sullivan that disappointed again if they don't make <laughs> it to another major tournament. But Denise O'Sullivan sitting on the pitch after we didn't qualify for the Euros for about an hour afterwards, just kind of looking around her, tears in her eyes will live with me for the rest of my life. So, Well, hopefully she's using that now to um, to brood and will unleash hell on Scotland slash Austria in... Um, in is it, it's two weeks tomorrow, is it? Uh, it's Wednesday or is it Tuesday? It's the 11th, isn't it? Uh, that that'll be a week today. Yeah, that's a week. Yeah, closing in. Right, it's close. Yeah. So it's the Scotland game is Thursday, and then ours. I thought there was ten days between them, no, or a week between them. It's it's the following Tuesday. Oh, maybe I've missed my timings. We'll uh, we'll we'll get that for you. Um, uh, again, that's the situation with regards to that. So, who fills in for Jesu? Uh, I reckon there'll probably be a bit of a shift around in the team. So I think they'll probably possibly have to push Heather Payne out onto the wings, bring someone up front, depends on who you want to do, and then maybe play Jamie Finn Morris centre mid rather than out in the wings where she has been the last while. Uh, so it will take a bit of... Like, there definitely are the players in the team. It's just going to take a little bit of a tinkering around with how we play. Uh, and we know Vera doesn't really like doing that. She tends to stick with the same teams so um, it will also depend as well on injuries because I know Lucy Quinn played quite well at the weekend so she could be the one that comes in up front but then Amber Barrett as well is also another option but she was injured or she came off injured at the weekend so I'm not entirely sure what her situation is I think she's being assessed this week Looks like it's yeah it's this day next week uh, the game Ireland against Scotland or Austria they play uh, Scotland Austria played this Thursday so yeah it is a quick yeah. it is a quick turnaround for for the winner of Scotland Austria, obviously they have home advantage against Ireland, so that's there is that. But it could be, it could be a. You'd like to see. You hate to say it, a few suspensions slash injuries. Yeah, we, yeah. Need, we need a massive brawl. Yeah, all, all out. Well, I've heard our mass stuff from from the grapevine. I've heard that Scotland are in a very good place. They feel very confident. They're really happy with their coach. That's where we want them. They Kathy. have a fully fit team. Like they're they're going into this on a high. So if it is them we're facing, then we're going to need to bring our best. I think I would I would actually kind of prefer to play Scotland. I think it would be a more entertaining match, just even in terms of the rivalry across the sea. Um, okay, let's. You're you're an Arsenal fan. I think we should uh, establish this. We've been getting a lot of grief about all the Manchester United conversation that we had. Arsenal chat four segments on United yesterday. Says Michal O'Connor. Um, <laughs> 
Just ignore the Arsenal comment. Cheers. <laughs> Michal, here we go. You know what? We're we're happy. We're basking in the glow of being top of the table. We don't we don't need you guys to fulfil us. <laughs> we had this conversation before the international break where we're like, when do we start talking about Arsenal as potential title contenders? In we're May. Still having the con- yeah, because May. it's Arsenal. Yeah. Well, I- see, that's the thing. I just have no. I have no faith that this is going to continue. Like, I'm really enjoying where we're at at the moment and I'm really enjoying watching this team play, but I, I've i been burned so many times before that I just don't trust that it's going to last past Christmas. I, I actually, to be fair, if I look at it really rationally, I do think if we can manage to avoid too many serious injuries, Arsenal could go on a decent run this year. I don't think they're going to challenge City for the title. I know a few people have mentioned it and some people have just straight up laughed at it. That would probably be me. We had Nadim on yesterday and he kind of said like, oh, you know, it's, if Arsenal beat all the lower teams and like that's 60 odd points, you know, they could challenge City a little bit. They're not going to do that while Erling Haaland is around. It, even if City do drop points, Arsenal will definitely drop points somewhere along the way. Um but it is nice to just see the team actually playing with some proper style, proper formation. It seems like everyone knows what their role is and it seems like everyone's quite happy in that. And I remember one of the first times I ever came on off the ball, Owen asking me, did I think Arteta was the right man? And I was like, oh, give him three or four years. I think that's the time he needs to like unpick everything that's happened in Arsenal and where they are now. And I'm not going to say I was right, but for now, I will take the I'll take the plaudits. <laughs> it's Haaland. Is the difference. If, if Haaland wasn't in that city team, we would actually be talking about Arsenal a bit more. Uh, it's like, it's, yeah, like, oh, it's yeah. game over. Yeah, he's well, ruined the spectacle. Well, <laughs> I mean, uh, City were already very dominant. If you had yeah. taken Liverpool out of previous seasons, like look, Arsenal have had an excellent start to the season. They did get exposed a little bit by Manchester United in a game where they could easily have won if yeah. they were a bit more ruthless. And so that was one of those things where you're like, I think as well though, like the mental thing with you. United took over a little bit like Arsenal just have this especially I don't know what it is they play United certain times and it's like they just forget everything that they've <laughs> done before and they Not a great trait in the team you'd have to say <laughs> no slightly but, worrying but I mean it was when it's one of your like biggest rivals as well over the last like couple of decades to me they just struck me as a team that were like they got stage fright or something and I, I totally agree that's not a great trait to have in a team at all but I don't know if there are many other teams that they would experience that against um, Kathleen the biggest story in, in women's soccer at the moment is um, a confirmation late last night coming from a report by the former uh, acting Attorney General Sally Yates and the law firm King and Spalding that they concluded that at the top level of women's professional soccer in the US uh, players were subjected to pervasive systemic and widespread sexual abuse and harassment and the NWSL, the governing body and US soccer did little to stop it so this is a report, I think it's 310 pages and people are just beginning to digest uh, the contents of the report which are absolutely horrific but also the consequences and what's going to happen next so um, I know you haven't had a chance to read the full report just yet but certainly the top line reporting on it is, is beginning to paint a fairly horrific picture yeah, it's not great. I think I've read about 200 pages of it and it is one of those reports that you need to stop and take breaks every so often. Um, I mean, no one was surprised necessarily reading this. I think what was surprising wasn't so much the contents, it was the depths of cover-up and the amount of times the teams involved were told 
this person has done something or allegations have been brought against this person and nothing was done. Like they may have been let go from an organization, but whichever team picked them up next weren't warned about it or they were warned about it and just didn't do anything. And that's like we saw up to five different firings or people leaving the NWSL last year because of these allegations. So everyone knew they were in the pipeline. I just don't think anyone knew how how truly awful some of them were and also how much very high up people had covered them up. The commissioner, the former commissioner, Lisa Baird, left last year because it was found that the NWSL had been told several times that there were several coaches in their system that were abusing players and she initially whenever the reporting came out from the athletic said that she wasn't aware of it and then they were going to do whatever they could to support players and then emails came up that showed that she had been told about it a couple of months ago and um, but this literally goes like right to the very very core of u.s football some of the people named in the report are the most well-known names and not even just u.s football like women's football across the world so it's going to be really interesting to see what the fallout is from this and you have to give full credit to you know Manishim and Sinead Farley they were the two players that first came out last year went to the athletic reported what they had gone through and that was the thing that sent all of this in motion and if they hadn't done that then it's really hard to see where we would be now like this whole report wouldn't have happened and also it was mentioned in the report that there was several allegations brought forward that they just didn't have time or they didn't have the resources to investigate so there's possibly other stuff still to come out that we don't even know about so I think it's a really important step for US soccer but it's also really important for world football to see that you know you can't get away with these things. Eventually, it will catch up with you, and there will be repercussions. These coaches, some of them still active. This is this isn't a historic abuse story. This isn't like the 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s. This is ongoing. This is like in the last couple of years. Most of this would be from the last 20. So most of the coaches that are mentioned in the report were all still coaching last season. Uh, and if not last season, the season before. So it's very, very recent. And all of these coaches have been in the coaching sphere for the last 20 years. You know, they're not they're not casual names. They're not people that you wouldn't know about. They are names that you would know if you follow women's football. Um, and also a lot of them would have worked in youth soccer as well, which is one of the things. The report doesn't go into youth soccer. It just focuses on NWSL. But they make it very, very clear that this abuse starts at that level and it continues up to the senior ages. So even when you think about it from that perspective, that's, you know, young girls that are being subjected to this and then being subjected to it as grown women as well. And this circle of abuse is so strong that there's no way out. There's no way. There's nowhere for you to go. If you've reported it to the highest people you can and they don't do anything and you keep seeing this person getting a job year after year after year, what are you supposed to do? A lot of these women left the league and left football because that was the only recourse they could see to actually keep themselves safe and keep themselves in a protected place. So the, the Federation had commissioned the study after that story in The Athletic <clears throat> um, and similar charges were reported in The Washington Post from other people. And then the fallout forced the resignation or the removal still to be um, confirmed of the commissioner, the general counsel and five of the league's ten coaches. Yeah, it was it was massive. It was 
it was I remember when I was reporting on it at the time for ESPN and just every day being completely bewildered that something else was coming out about another coach um, and you know the, the league at the time did what they could in terms of players they in the middle of a game they took a minute silence and like both sides and all the management like linked arms and just stood there and it was incredibly powerful yeah I, because of the time difference I remember watching it it was like 2 3 a.m our time and just sitting in my kitchen just like a silent tear running down my face because I think you watch what these women go through and you know that it's not just in football it's not just in sport this is something that we see across workplaces it's something that every woman has probably either experienced or heard one of her friends experience before so it was just incredibly powerful to see these women coming together and they did it by themselves this was purely the players and ex-players coming forward and saying I experienced this I'm going to talk about it because I don't want this to happen to other people and no matter how much the higher-ups tried to push them down or tried to push the story down they still managed to come to the top with it and I think you know full credit goes to them for that especially even players like Alex Morgan who is one of the most well-known footballers in the world she was one of the main people that pushed these women who or not pushed them supported these women who had left the league who wanted to come forward with their stories who wanted to come talk about it and used her power in that way to help support them in the background and then only when it all came out even then she was kind of still in the background but she was then using her voice using her platform to promote them more and to make sure that these clubs who and even the report says that a lot of the clubs that everyone knew were, were letting these allegations just go by actually tried to stop the report happening and tried to stop witnesses coming forward tried to stop access to documents so despite everything that they said last season that they wanted to you know fully cooperate fully help take these people out of circulation they were still trying to stop it all coming out until the very last minute so yeah um the report concluded multiple players informed teams, the league and US soccer about misconduct, but those reports were ignored. It also says this isn't confined to the professional league. Abuse in the NWSL is rooted in a deeper culture in women's soccer, beginning <clears throat> pardon me, in youth leagues that normalises verbal abusive, verbally abusive coaching and blurs the boundaries between coaches and players. So, I don't know, is the publication some kind of a wake-up call for women's soccer for the authorities, for people outside women's soccer to take a deeper look at that pervasive culture? I hope so. Um, uh, I feel like we've been here before. And, you know, if last year, even just the initial reporting that came out wasn't enough of a wake-up call and some of these clubs were still trying to sweep things under the rug in the year since, I don't know how optimistic I am that it will be a massive wake-up call, but I think it's really important that it is being talked about it is something that you know people you can't ignore it like if you read even if you read some of the articles about the report and not the report itself you cannot ignore how horrendous some of the abuse that was going on was and I really hope that it causes other federations other journalists other people in countries all over the world to take a bit of a closer look at the systems that are in operation um, because there's no way that this is limited to the NWSL. I mean, we saw it with the French Federation being accused of hiding up similar things a couple of weeks ago. This is happening all over the place. Hopefully now this has come out. 
people will see there is repercussions, that there, there are ways that you can get your story told and there are people who will support you in that. It's just, it's a hard process. It's a long process. Um, but the, the recourse is there. Yeah, there, there's um, a phrase about this being an open secret because it was so pervasive. Uh, I like. Well, there was there was always rumors say like certain because of the way the draft system works in the U.S. You know, you could be told day to day that okay, well, you've your rights have been sold to this club and you have to go there. And there had been reports of some of the coaches that are mentioned in the report, players not wanting to report to them and just doing whatever they can, taking contracts abroad, because you can do that. You can still have your rights can still be owned in the US, but you can still go to Europe or Australia or wherever. Them trying to find overseas deals so they didn't have to work with certain coaches. Um, You talk to a lot of the US reporters. A lot of this stuff was known, but it was just getting someone to come forward. And that's why I was saying, earlier that what Manishim and Sinead Farley did was so important and Kay McCullough as well, there was a couple of players, um, because they broke that barrier, they were the first ones that said, okay, we're going to stand up, we're going to say something and that gave other people the gap to go through, it gave other people the space to do it and it just takes one a lot of the time for these things to open up in that way and it becomes less of an open secret. Yeah, so we can expect more, much more to come because, as you said, the scope of this investigation was quite narrow. It took a long time, but I guess, in retrospect, the fact that it took a long time is probably good because it means that it's going to be very robust from a legal perspective and it's going to stand up to to scrutiny from the lawyers of the people who are named and accused. But it does then allow the next uh, bunch of investigations to dig similarly deep into other allegations that are out there at the moment. Exactly. It sets the foundation and it sets the precedent. And I think when you look at the amount of documents that were coming through, I know Sally Yates and the uh, US Soccer Federation and NWSL and NWSL Players Association, all these different groups that were involved in it all said at different times, like the scale of reports that they were getting through and the scale of people coming to them was massive so the fact that something has come out and it's come out in a relatively short time frame in the sense that you know people can still remember the league last year when players took that stance people can still remember these stories I think it is important that it was quite a tight time frame but also we there was one line in the report where I think Sally Yates said something about you know we wanted to get this out in a very quick time frame so we didn't investigate certain things. I hope that doesn't mean that those go uninvestigated, that this is just like the starting block and like, okay, we've looked at these things, now we're going to set up another commission and we're going to look at youth soccer, we're going to look at other areas that maybe we just didn't have the time to do now. Um, Because if we've learned anything from the very basic parts of this report it's that this is going on in a lot of places and this is by no means the end of it yeah the the u.s federation in fairness to them have immediately established an office of participant safety public soccer related records from safe sports centralized database of officials and coaches who've been investigated or sanctioned for misconduct which is exactly what you need it's like coach a gets accused of something in one place and then six months later fetches up on the other side of America and nobody knows anything about the fact that the reason they left under a cloud was because they'd been accused of something um, and then also um, 
they're going to have background checks and create a participant safety task force led by athletes themselves but they do need to investigate those other ones as well so um, look it's a it, it's a developing story we will continue to cover it Kathleen great stuff thanks a million for uh, bringing us up to date on that OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 